True Believers, this is Michael Kaiser. And I'm Boris. <laughs> and welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is being episode 47 of the show, and I'm not going to do that voice the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're already losing it there towards the <laughs> Yeah, towards this the is a, I'm John Wilson, this is episode 47, but um, this is the Boris and Natasha episode of Make Ours Marvel. Yay. Yay, because we are going to have on the show the first appearance of Rocky and Bullwinkle. I mean, I mean, the Black Widow. You know what's cool about this episode is I think it feels like it's been a long time since I looked at the queue on what to read for mm-hmm. a show and was interested in all three books. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's this- usually that one that's just like, okay, got to get through that one. But right. This we one have- was like, wow, fun, fun, fun. We've got the first appearance of Black Widow. We've got um, Hulk versus the Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. And we've got Thor doing, um, oh, yeah, the first appearance of Enchantress and Executioner. That's right. And so the return of Crimson Dynamo. We're right? We're riding high on, yeah, yeah. on our comics tonight. That's right. So, um, which means that we are going to finish out the month of January 1964 in this episode. Our first two comics come from the week of January 10th, and then we're going to dive into February for our third comic. And you get to cover two out of three tonight. Oh, really? Is that mm-hmm. me this, this week? Yep. Wow. Okay. Um, well, I can do that. I don't have so, so you get to actually do the Boris um, accent as you... Retail. I, I could fatale. do the Boris. I could do the Boris accent and also the the femme fatale Natasha, Natasha Fatale. That's more Italian. Um, <laughs> Natasha Fatale. I'm sure she can do an Italian accent too. She's very trained. Right, right, right. She is um, okay. So um, Iron Man, the Crimson Dynamo strikes again. If you recall, the Crimson Dynamo was a Soviet attempt to beat Iron Man with an armored foe. And he gets over here and he finds out that living in democracy is a wonderful thing and America is beautiful. And he, uh, Anton Vonko, being the person in the suit, goes to work at Stark Enterprises. So uh, as we come into this comic, the Crimson Dynamo is still working for Stark Enterprises, doing amazing things. And Tony and Anton are good friends. And Khrushchev, who's never explicitly named, but he's, you know, the white overweight, balding leader of the Soviet Union decides to send two agents to go and get the Crimson Dynamo back. And those are Boris and Natasha. (laughs) Very explicitly nodding to the Rocky and Bullwinkle uh, antagonists. Um, But Natasha, Madame Natasha, is also known as the Black Widow. And Boris is just like this really big, strong dude who like doesn't walk around desks. He would rather pick up the desk <laughs> and move it out of his way than walk around it. He's so, efficient. Yeah, Russian yeah. efficiency. So Boris and Natasha go to the States and they decide to make friends with Tony Stark. Natasha uses her feminine wiles to distract Tony Stark while Boris goes to a bunch of places he's not supposed to go to and finally finds Anton Vanko and says, hey – here to rescue you. My name's Luke Skywalker. And, Bor- <laughs> and, and, and Anton Vanka says, aren't you a little tall for a stormtrooper? Because Boris is this giant dude. Um, and Boris is like, no, I am not. And he pulls out a gun and says, you come with us or I'll shoot you with this gun. And he shoots him with the gun. The gun like shoots out this like rope that wraps up uh, uh, Vanko. 
and he puts him in a basically a duffel bag and throws him over his shoulder and says, "Okay, taking you out." And um, yeah, something for some reason he decides to go and get the costume too. He goes and puts on the crimson dynamo armor and he like starts wrecking stuff. In Stark's factory. Meanwhile, Stark is out dancing with Madame Natasha and he gets a message. Hey, hey, someone's trashing your factory. It's the Crimson Dynamo. And Stark's like, the Crimson Dynamo? But I thought we were friends. And Natasha's like, okay, well, I guess we got to go back to your factory. Tony goes back, uh, ditches Natasha, puts on the suit, fights Crimson Dynamo, um, is overpowered at first and is put in the same place of prisoners that Anton Vanko is kept. He's like, oh, Vonko, I knew you couldn't have turned against me. Must be somebody else in that Crimson Dynamo suit. I'm going to go fight him and beat him up. So he does. He goes and fights him and beats him up. And in the process, Vonko, like, gives his life to help in the fight. And uh, so, um, but in the process of Vonko giving his life, Boris in the Crimson Dynamo suit is also killed. Like, they're both, oh, there's like this gun that Vanko has that is super powerful that if it, it's it's not fully tested and, and perfected and whoever uses it will be killed by the gun as well. So he uses the gun against the Crimson Dynamo, kills Boris in the Crimson Dynamo suit, kills himself in the process, and Natasha goes into hiding because the price for failure from the Soviet Union is very, very steep and high and she'd rather live a life of hiding than face it. And that's basically the end. That's... That's it. Yep. Um, so Black Widow, first of all, Natasha and Boris, like I totally, that just went right over my head when I was reading this. Oh, okay. Um, and then you joked about it and I thought, oh, that was a funny joke. But then you kept going and I'm like, oh, really? That seriously is what they're doing? Because, wow, Black Widow is exists because they were doing a, a, a take on Rocky and Bullwinkle? Yeah, and visually they don't look anything like them. Like they got away from that. But I I mean Rocky and Bullwinkle was super popular from 59 to 64. It was still on the air at this time. And I've got to think if you're going to have two Russian bad guys and you're naming them Boris and Natasha, I mean, that can't yeah. be anything but a Rocky and Bullwinkle riff, right? Yeah, I guess you have to be right, man. I just didn't even think of that. But it's but so Black Widow, like um uh you know how some characters like I'm thinking of, say, The Blob, which we recently covered for the first time. Mm-hmm. Like right out of the gate, they're just how you think of them. Yes. Yeah. Well, she's not one of those. She's <laughs> not one. Of, I was so surprised to go back because we all grew up with, you know, the woman in like the the gray zip up suit yeah. and the red hair, which is either short or long, depending on what era you're reading. But this is um, she has black curly hair. She has a hat. That has like, you know, a veil. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a brim and a veil. And it, she's got this fur coat on. And she's basically, you know, sort of a spy chic, but also like classy dame. I don't know. It's really hard to, to describe her look. She's kind of, and outside of her look also, just the whole personality. She's kind of a James Bond, like femme fatale character. More than, mm-hmm. more than the person who's going to end up like being on the Avengers and. And uh, having lots of action and and, and it's not yeah. quite as played up in the in the narration as it's going to be with the enchantress in a couple of issues. Mm-hmm. But her purpose is definitely to be sexy and to distract Tony and to be a woman. She's not as overtly evil either. Um, True, I mean, she's got a job to do. So all her thought bubbles basically revolve around Anthony being um, good looking, 
and her assignment being interesting. And she has to le- all she does in this really is lead him away for five minutes, mm-hmm. and then that's it. So we don't really get a lot of character of like who she is per se. Um, so I guess I could see any version of Black Widow pulling this case off if that was her assignment. But you get the feeling she looks like this all the time, and this is everything she does for the Russian government. What was your um, What was your experience? Well, of course, you had a lot of Avengers growing up, so you probably knew Black Widow before we got to Iron Man Two, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. And she she also like in the '90s with Grenwald. She occasionally she, there was like a brief period like when uh, she hung out with Cap a lot. I actually used to wonder if they should date. They could call it the Cold War. Ha ha. Anyway, um, uh, yeah. But even in those comics, like they were like more like friends, brother and sister, which I think is awesome. Kind of how they reflected that in the Winter Soldier and Civil War, mm-hmm. pretty well. Pretty well, in my opinion. Like obviously they're just friends, but good friends and blah blah blah. So right. yeah, I know her as a hero. I've never I've never read this first appearance. It it's pretty much it could be anybody really. At this point, yeah, um, and it's interesting because she actually gets her her makeover in a Spider Man issue. Okay. Of all like, places. Like 20 years from now. So, um, but we'll get to that, you know, if we last that long, like 1968, I think. Okay. Um, okay. So when Iron Man happened and we were pretty sure they were going to a sequel, like it was almost, it was known almost immediately they were going to a sequel. And there were rumors almost immediately that, that Black Widow was going to be in the sequel. Whenever that happened, I did not know Black Widow from Adam. Okay. Like I had a vague impression that there was this redheaded, Avenger named Black Widow, like I'd seen her in cameo appearances and stuff, mm-hmm. but I didn't, I didn't know what she was. So reading through early Iron Man's, which is what I started doing in 2008 with the Iron Man movie, these were my first Black Widow stories. Uh, it was it was it was kind of weird that like I had this, and then I got Scarlett Johansson with the huge red curls and the you know <laughs> kicking seventeen kinds of ass. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, um, I, there was, I'll admit there was probably a hormonal response going on there too, but we don't have to talk about that. Um, yeah, that's and, Black Widow. And of course, anybody who's screaming at their iPhone right now for us missing the obvious, her, another big part of her life in the Marvel universe is being Daredevil's love interest. So, yes, uh, I feel like her, she goes through three phases, you know, in, in the silver and bronze age. She, well, four maybe. She is the villain here. Who meets Hawkeye and then Hawkeye joins the Avengers and she's like supporting cast to Hawkeye in the Avengers for a while. Mm-hmm. She gets a makeover in Spider-Man and gets her own solo series in one of those Marvel anthology books from the very early seventies, like Marvel feature, Marvel premiere, but not those books. Ama- amazing adventures might've been amazing adventures. That's her third phase. And then she's Daredevil and Black Widow for a while. And I yeah. feel like that that's kind of that's kind of the shape of her story in the Silver and Bronze Age. Oh, she was also in the Champions. She uh she and Hercules were a couple in the Champions. And now of course most recently Winter Soldier. So Yeah, because once the Winter Soldier comes about, they retcon this entire history between her and Bucky because both were Russian operatives. Right. Right. So I don't even and- know exactly how all that's supposed to work. I don't know either, and there's an issue that I read. Like, one of the first issues I read of her was an X-Men comic. This was actually the X-Men comic that got me into the X-Men. It was by Chris, Chris Claremont and Jim Lee, and it was it had Captain America on the cover. So that's why I bought it. Right. And it, and it was a story where Cap – or where 
it took place in both the present and the past where Wolverine met an, a World War II Captain America. Yep. And there's a there, little bitty girl. Yeah. So then somehow she, from World War II, she's from World War II in continuity, but young. And I've never figured that out. Although probably a quick Wikipedia would like solve that problem. But yeah, okay, I, never, so would- I never read that story where it explains why she's still young. Yeah, I don't know how she's still young, too, because even then, that's like 1991, 1992, and, you know, World War II was 50 years ago. Yeah. So even if she was a child then, even if she was a young child then, which she wasn't, yeah, that's still I mean, like 50 or 60 years old, Yeah, Wolver- and she's not. Wolverine comments in that story that she looks really good for her age, so they were recognizing that. That flashback doesn't work unless something's going on. They must have established by that point what's going on with her. And maybe it has to do with the red room. Maybe it has to do with the conditioning. Maybe there's something that's similar to what's going on with Nick Fury. Although I don't Mm. don't think she drinks the same coffee that he does every morning. Uh, (laughs) She drinks the Russian version. Right. So I don't know. There's something going on with Black Widow that has her being young. Well, someone will write us a letter. Yeah, I actually in, invited. Please come let us know what's going on. I mean, obviously, we could go Wikipedia it, but it'd be much cooler if our listeners informed us. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I skipped over the credits in this comic, which I, I we were trying not to do because the credits are supposed to be cool now, except these aren't. Um, I think we also Stanley. forgot to say Tales of Suspense 52 out loud, but <laughs> <laughs> I could be wrong. Who let who lets us be podcasters? I don't even know. <laughs> we just said the Iron Man comic and hope everybody knows what we're talking about. But. Right. Plot by Stan Lee, story by N. Karak, art by Don Heck, lettering by S. Rosen. Um, N. Karak is a pseudonym for Don Rico. Now, Don Rico has a slew of Golden Age credits for a variety of series, including a number of Captain America and Young Allies stories. And he uh, basically ended his comics career by creating and then having really long runs on some Jungle Girl titles hmm. for Atlas. Okay. And he hasn't been doing comics since 1957. He got into films, and he's just really started writing novels. So really, his comics career is basically over at this point. Um, he's doing TV and films. He does this story, this two-part story out of nowhere, because this this issue has a sequel next issue. Okay. And in a couple of years, he's going to script a Doctor Strange story, and then in the 70s, he's going to draw six pages of an Invader's Annual. Oh, wow. And that's it. That's that's like, that's all he's doing. He's not doing comics anymore. He's doing a pseudonym here with N. Korok because he doesn't want his novel publisher to notice his work. Um, I'm really curious to know what motivated him to write this story out of nowhere. Yeah, I, that is interesting, but I don't know if we'll be able to figure that out. Yeah, it's just one of those mild maybe curiosities. Maybe Stanley just knew him and... Maybe he liked Iron Man, and he's like, hey, I have an Iron Man story idea or something. Who knows? Mm -hmm. Part of this uh, story revolves around the fact that lasers are a new thing. Uh Uh-huh. That's like the big thing here is he's trying to invent a laser light that actually allows him to survive when he shoots it. Yeah, that's the whole thing with the gun at the end is it's a laser light gun, and they can't get the the light – energy to to work without it being also a backfire thing so yeah it's it's well and when i was reading that i thought really in iron man we've we're up to tales of suspense 52 and he's never shot a laser and then i started thinking back and i don't think he shot a laser yeah they have not used the word laser and i did not do my usual thing of wikiing lasers and seeing what you know no but like that's kind of iron man's standard thing is he holds his hand up and shoots a blast out of it you know and i don't think he's doing that yet 
Those are called repulsors, and we've True. seen him use his his chest beam to shine a light, mm-hmm. but not a laser light. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's interesting. Apparently, there's I knew this already, but there's a bunch of crimson dynamos, um, and we off two of them in this one story. So there must be a lot of crimson dynamos. Yeah, which I thought was kind of interesting. So, um, what do you think was the reason for a bringing back the crimson dynamo only to kill him? And B, having him switch people first. Well, the Crimson Dynamo himself, I personally think, is a visually very cool character. Um, but it also is just a suit of armor. So I guess you could put anybody you want in there. So it's kind of a cool story idea that he didn't... Because the thing is, they don't say this in this issue, but Tony tricked him into being patriotic, if we remember correctly. He, like, faked a news tape that made made it sound like uh, Crimson Dynamo's um, bosses were talking bad about him. Oh, you're right. And so he's like, "Oh, they're trying to kill me. Well, I'll be, I'll, I'll defect and be American. Thanks for helping me, Iron Man." He's like, "No problem. You can work at the Stark factory. Sure, thanks." They don't talk about that at all here. They just talk about him being a patriot now. Um, so they could have went two ways. One, he could have found out that he was duped and become Crimson Dynamo again, or I guess they just decided to let him stay patriotic and uh, have some other Russian fill the role. Yeah. It's, it's, it's weird. And I, I like the idea of him staying true to that patriotism. Um, well, not because of patriotism, but just, you know, he found a new way of life that he liked. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, but Crimson Dynamo is a villain character and they've reformed him. And this is not the Crimson Dynamo comic. The, the Crimson Dynamo is going to have to be like a character who comes back every now and then. So putting someone else in the costume lets us keep Vonko's story honest and, and true but then killing both Vonko and Boris also gives us a clean slate to use the Crimson Dynamo as another villain later. Anyone else can use the armor. It's like a wild card now, which is something we don't have in the comics yet. This this identity mm-hmm. hand, handing off to other people, which is so common nowadays, to, to good effect. But we didn't have this back here. Especially with Iron Man villains who are, who are also in suits, because... Crimson Dynamo and who else? Isn't there like a green guy called the... Titanium Man. Titanium Man. I bet you he swaps identities all the time, too. He might do, yeah. I I Uh, don't know, honestly. um, So, yeah, I wasn't like super enamored with Boris anyway, so I'm kind of looking forward to whoever they throw in there next. Maybe they'll give that guy a better backstory than just being a guy who hates walking around desks. (laughs) And he was really bad at using the Crimson Dynamo suit. Yeah. Yeah. Iron Man had problems with Crimson Dynamo last time, and here he's just a total pushover. Well, but see, Boris didn't invent the suit, and he's not, as far as I know, a genius or anything. Whereas the other guy did, right? Or did he not? Yeah, he did. He, he, yeah, it was his own invention. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So it's kind of like the same thing. Like if, I don't know, like in the Iron Man movie where where uh, Obadiah takes over the armor and he, he just can't outsmart Tony. You know, well, I just looked it up. It is going to be a while before we have another Crimson Dynamo, like 1969, when Iron Man has wow. his own like numbered series. That always shocks me when they, they go that long. Do they not realize this guy is cool and interesting? Maybe they don't. I don't know. Maybe do they, they don't. How do they know these things? Um, the first thought we have from the Black Widow is sex, obviously, because she's a woman. She just like the first thing we hear from her is she's mooning over Tony Stark. Um, that Anthony yeah. Stark is handsome as well as wealthy. He'll make an interesting assignment for the Black Widow. Well, that's also her whole reason for existence. So I guess it makes sense that she thinks that I'm glad she grows and because something else later. Yeah. Um, I'm just trying to see if there's anything else I have that 
is worth saying. Okay, they do make a mention on page nine about Tony Stark, um, Iron Man being Tony Stark's bodyguard. Yeah, which we was, just mentioned for the first time last issue with the uh, with the Scarecrow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I guess it's been out that way for a while, and nobody told the reader, or there's been some time between that between these issues. I don't know. Or they've just yeah they've just decided that that's a great explanation. So let's just make that worldwide and keep it going. Right. Everybody knows now. It's because that press conference he gave, he actually used the cue cards and didn't say, I am Iron Man. He said, I am Iron Man's bodyguard. So, of course, that means if you are a villain and you hate Iron Man and you want to get to him, who do you attack? You attack Tony Stark or Tony Stark's loved ones, thereby rendering his secret identity pointless. (laughs) Just like Peter Parker when he claims to be Spider-Man's friend or Superman and Clark Kent when he claims to be Superman's, you know, number one reporter. they're, They're always like ruining the reason they set that up in the first place. So this is kind of the month for cliffhangers. Mm-hmm. Um, X-Men 4 had a cliffhanger with uh, Professor X getting knocked out at the end of the issue. Amazing Spider-Man didn't have a cliffhanger, but left Dr. Octopus to go free at the end so that he could come back to the next issue. Mm-hmm. Fantastic Four we're going to see has a cliffhanger. This issue, again, like Amazing Spider-Man, not a cliffhanger, but... Black Widow goes free at the end, and that sets us up for the next issue. So there's a lot of two-part stories going on in this month, which is pretty great. I didn't realize this was a two-parter. So when I read the ending, it just seemed like an open-ended ending for the character. Mm -hmm. But of course, they can't seem to just let anything linger when they set something up. Right. (laughs) Jane Foster leaves. Oh, no, she's going to be back next issue. She has to. <laughs> Black Widow's running from Russia. Oh, no. We'll deal with that next issue. So, interesting. Um, so, that, uh, is that we have anything else for the story? I am super excited to listen to the Watcher's awesome futuristic tale so I can learn more. Okay. Um, let's see how few words I can do this. <laughs> ready? Watcher tells story. The end. The failure... By Storyplot Stanley, Script and Art L.D. Lieber, inking P. Reinman, lettering S. Rosen. The Watcher is looking at Earth in the future, where all war and poverty and hunger and violence are gone. But really evil cutthroat business practices are the rule of the day. Which I don't know exactly how that works, but you know, we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, there's this one dude though, who doesn't want to be a shrewd cutthroat businessman. He wants to read poetry and he finds a girl who likes the poetry and likes the idealism and they hook up and everyone else is like making fun of them. Ha ha. Y'all are stupid. These aliens show up. Oh no, it's aliens. And we don't have any weapons because we did violence. We did away with violence a long time ago. The aliens say, we choose you Pikachu. And they point at the poet guy. Like, oh, they're pointing at that poet guy. They, they must want the most useless person on the planet. And poet guy's like, I can't leave without my girlfriend. They're like, fine, get the girlfriend. And they leave and they fly away. They're like, no, no, no. See, we're not bad aliens. We were looking for the entire universe, for the best person in the whole world to be our new ruler. And it's you. Congratulations. You're a king now. The end. Man, comic creators are a sensitive bunch, aren't they? Yeah. Because this is like the 18th story. You got to imagine like whoever's writing and drawing this must have like a really successful lawyer brother or something like that. That's constantly like (laughs) making fun of him for being an artist. Right. Because like all these stories revolve around like, uh, you know, oh, look at these stupid adults. 
or know, look at these awesome adults and look at this stupid guy who just wants to be an artist or you know who's sensitive and lame and then he ends up like ruling the world at the end and I, I honestly am not sure how you can have cutthroat business practices <sighs> and no poverty or violence because I'm pretty sure that bad business creates poverty which fosters violence yeah that was really weird it was like almost Star Trek except for that whole like everybody's addicted to money thing Right, right. And so who's paying for like these parks and beautiful cities and stuff when everybody just wants to keep their hoard? I don't know. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. And there's a weird imperialism flavor at the end that I don't really like. Like the the whole thing about the white guy going to the other country and becoming the best person at their Uh, country. Yeah. So like these guys went and looked for someone to come rule over them and they couldn't do it themselves. And they had to go and find the the best white guy to come be their best person. And honestly, why doesn't this scenario make him the most depressed man in the world? Because on Earth, he didn't want to be powerful or cutthroat or, you know, do anything but, like, philosophize and draw and kiss his girl and stuff. And now he has to rule a planet. Yeah. So now he's super rich and he has to have all this stress and all this, you know, like, making all these decisions and probably has to be cutthroat from time to time. And when's he going to read poetry now? Never. Yeah. Yeah. It it was weird. They're they're really like all of these stories, both Watcher and the Wasp telling these stories, the the moral is just so not quite right. Yeah. Or something. They, they're they're a little too pat, a little too trite, but they don't quite get it right either. They they unravel under the most, you know, the loosest of introspection or whatever. Or uh, <laughs> you know, just completely disappear the minute the minute you start thinking about it too hard. Well, instead of thinking about that, then let's think about muscled, muscular people beating each other up. Okay, so the thing comic this week. I'm just kidding. I'm going to say it out loud. Fantastic Four, number twenty-five. We've read twenty-five of these. Wow, quarter century on the Fantastic Four. That's pretty sweet. Um, it's a Marvel Super Spectacular, so that makes it unique. Um, and I bet you it has. It does. Credits that are sensational. Sensational story by Stan Lee. Astonishing art by Jack Kirby. Incredible inking by G. Bell. And lighthearted lettering by S. Rosen. So sensational, astonishing, and incredible all ended up being associated with um, people. Yeah, You never heard the uh, the lighthearted wasp? A lighthearted wasp. Yep, there you go. <laughs> okay, it's called The Battle of the Century, The Hulk versus The Thing. And it opens up with The Thing like... Literally climbing up a wall trying to get away from Reed Richards. And, of course, Human Torch and Sue Storm are butting their two cents in just to make the room even more chaotic. It turns out Reed accidentally – they don't explain that really – but accidentally created a chemical that the thing can drink and become Ben Grimm again permanently. But he has to drink it now because it's dissolving already or something. But Ben doesn't want to drink it because – He's in love with Alicia, and she loves him, and he's actually peaceful and content, which is something Reed just cannot wrap his brain around. His guilt is too great over what happened to the thing. It's all his fault. Uh, so he really, really demands that he, like, drink it, but the thing just breaks it instead. Meanwhile, we cut to the Hulk, who we left in Avengers number two. After he and the Submariner tried to pick a fight with the Avengers, he took off. He's now back in the desert. He uh, helps himself to a ride in the back of a semi-truck. He turns into Bruce Banner for about five minutes as he lays his head down to rest. Uh, Bruce Banner then kind of makes his way to a cave that he usually hangs out in, but pretty much immediately turns back to the Hulk after 
worrying to himself that the Hulk is more and more taking control and he's rarely Banner anymore. Um, the Hulk digs in his pockets and finds a newspaper that apparently Banner put in there. And the newspaper is all about how Captain America has now joined the Avengers. So much like Rick's predict- prediction in Avengers number four, this sets the Hulk off, makes him mad that not only did the team replace him, but that Rick Jones is hanging out over there. And he decides to go leaping over to New York to take them on. However, as he leaps away to New York, they, he crosses paths with the Avengers who are coming to the desert to look for him. So they don't find him. That's their only cameo in this story is like two panels of them being led around by Rick looking at the, the Hulk's uh, usual haunts. Because we cut back to New York and Reed Richards is uh, playing with viruses, I guess, for some reason, as brilliant people do. And he catches one, as dumb people do. And... Falls over, knocks over all his test tubes, stuff, passes out. They get really concerned and they want to call a doctor and stuff, but bad timing, just as they're worried about him, the Hulk shows up in New York and just starts trashing the place. So Human Torch goes out there first to try and stop him. They get into a fight, but the Hulk pretty easily like smashes some cement and like smothers his flame and knocks him out. So then, let's see. Oh, then uh, Sue Storm goes down there to help and she tries to like wrap him in an invisible bubble but he the hulk like picks him up and leaves him so high that it gets out of her range and she gets knocked out so now it's up to the thing and the thing takes him on and they get in this big long fight full of lots of like destruction you know buses and buildings um at some point finally they end up on the bridge oh they end up in the water it just goes on and on they end up on the bridge And the thing manages to wrap, like, the bridge coils around the Hulk in a way that the Hulk has no leverage to break out. So he's able to hold him for a little while. And during all this, Reed is, like, struggling to get back to his feet. Um, But it's not really working. A doctor comes over and says, oh, yeah, he needs to stay calm. He's going to die of a fever. Uh, The Hulk, or Sue's, like, there crying or something, being really useful. Cuts back to the Hulk, who, even though he had no leverage to break free, just gets more and more mad. So he ends up breaking free anyway. And at which point he knocks the thing down um, and declares revenge on the Avengers. Um, and the thing is like just broken and beaten. And Reed Richards is dying of a fever. And Sue is sad. And I think Johnny's like in the hospital now. So who's going to stop the Hulk? And is to be continued. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Dramatically. Dramatically. What'd you think of this? I loved it. Yeah? Yeah, we've read this before. We have, because of that one page of Captain America. (laughs) It's like two panels. I can't believe we covered this whole book for these two panels on a Captain America podcast, but we were dedicated, I guess. Well, I think think it sets up a larger Avengers appearance next issue. For sure. Um, Because you're in this interesting place where Captain America's narrative is in the Avengers, but the Avengers narrative goes from Avengers 4 through these two issues of Fantastic Four back to Avengers 5 in two months. So it's it's kind of neat. Um, yeah, and you're you, looking for the Hulk, and the Hulk's over here. I mean, I would imagine any kid reading this knows that the last page where they're saying, who can stop the Hulk now? We all know that that's going to be the Avengers, right? Oh, yeah. I would hope. But but yeah, this issue and the next one, these make up one of the most significant stories in early Marvel history. I mean, this is, this is big stuff right here. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes me sad that it's marred by some sort of different art choices. Like the Hulk's face is really weird throughout this. Especially the end. 
Yeah. That, that big page 21, like there's half a page, one panel. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Kirby decided to give him a different face or something. Or if Bell's inks are. Yeah, it could be that. But the the thing looks different too. Like he's trying to give him more shape to his forehead. It's just, it's not quite right. Yeah. Um, now that you're saying that, like even Sue looks a little less uh, detailed than she usually does. And Kirby doesn't draw women very well anyway, but like all she is is a nose and eyes now. It's weird. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. Maybe, maybe he was just rushing. I mean, we don't know. We, he's been doing stellar work on this title and Sergeant Fury, and maybe it's taken its toll. No, no, no. The Russians were in the Iron Man issue. Oh, right. Putin, but man. Bumps. He always wrecks comics. <laughs> so, okay. But getting into the story itself, opening page. Mm-hmm. Ben hates the idea of a cure so badly that he is literally climbing a wall to get away from Reed. That's a great visual to start on. So what do you think of his attitude towards not becoming human again? I think that he has had a hell of a time coping with his life. Uh-huh. And he's finally found some peace. He's finally reconciled things. And the last person, the absolute last person that has any business telling the thing where to get off is Reed Richards, who screwed up his life. I Yeah, I'm sure he's thinking that. I also think he's being a stubborn mule. And he's one of those guys who can't wrap his brain around the idea that, of course, Alicia would be just fine with him. As Ben Grimm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know that, and I know that. I just think that he might be having trouble seeing past his own monstrousness right now. Yeah. Also, also, though, like, part of me would hate giving up the ability to lift 85 tons. Yeah, and that's that's actually a story point that comes up later, because there is one point where he gets to give up being the thing, and it's a detriment to the team, because he loses his powers. Yeah. I mean, he's definitely one of the most powerful guys on the squad, so... Right now, he's a superhero. Yeah. He is the thing. He is, you know, ugly. He is inhuman. Um, but he's also a powerhouse superhero that the, the, the team depends on. And he's a member of the Fantastic Four. So now he's also famous. And you imagine at some point, fame might outweigh some of the ugliness aspects of his uh, day-to-day life. Um, okay. So quick recap about the Hulk. Last time we saw the Hulk, he was pissed at the Avengers and the Submariner tried to use that to his advantage. They fought Earth's Mightiest Heroes at Gibraltar, which I only know because I reviewed the caption boxes in the issue because in my head, they have been fighting on a random rock island and I didn't <laughs> know they were actually in a specific location. Yeah. So while they're fighting, Hulk just like randomly turned into Dr. Banner and ran away which makes a lot more sense if they're on a actual location and not a random rock island, because where is he going to go if they're on an island? But he can run away because they're in Spain. Um, And somehow Bruce has made it back to the United States, and he's now the Hulk again. I imagine the Hulk made it back to the United States. Could have done. Why is he going to jump on, though? Oh, you know what he's going to do? He's just going to get a flight. He swam in Avengers 2. Oh, okay. He can swim forever because he's like, you know, super strong guy. Yeah, that's true. Swim forever. I'm glad we got to see Bruce, though. Honestly, he, of course, didn't really do anything. He's only around four panels, but it's nice that they they gave him to us again for just a little bit. I'm sorry, whom did we see? Bruce Banner. No, sir. We saw Bob Banner. Oh, right. Bob Banner. Because it has been two months and no one has told Stan he got the name wrong. (laughs) Robert Bruce Banner. He was Bob Banner in Avengers 3 or 4, maybe. No, 3. And he's Bob Banner again here. 
Stanley does not realize that he has the name wrong. Um, well, they'll they'll just retcon it so he doesn't. So that works. Yeah, yeah. He'll just you know, I did not make a mistake. I changed the rules. So the Avengers are still hunting for the Hulk, and we kind of made fun of them last time because they were like, "If you're not going to be on your our team, then we're going to arrest you." Essentially, that was right. their, that was the two options. And apparently they haven't given up on that idea. Kind of makes sense because if the whole – I don't know. He does just kind of go around destroying things and he's very powerful. But is he – like should he – if they capture capture him, what are they going to do? Or keep him in jail forever just because he's big and powerful? I don't know. I don't know why – I like – I feel like pursuing the Hulk is causing the problem. Hulk – okay. We see Hulk. He um, breaks up a roadblock and wants a ride in a van. Or a truck. And then he like runs away as, as Bob Banner. He's not doing anything except just like getting by. Yeah. Rudely, but just getting by. And there was one little bit of drama we get from it on the top of page five. This may be the last time I'll have the identity of Bob Banner for the changes keep coming more often. And each time the Hulk gets stronger. And so it's like he's losing himself in this Hulkness. I feel like he's been saying that. The last eight times we've read the Hulk, though, so oh, you think so? Maybe he just says that out loud to be dramatic. I don't know. Says it out. Says it out loud to nobody. Yeah, <laughs> he knows we're reading. And look, it's your guy at the bottom, of page five, and top of six. What do you think of uh, their stellar helicopter? By the way, they're gonna have to work on that. Oh, the the helicopter back there. It's just that's their helicopter. That's what they're traveling in a helicopter. It's kind of boring. Oh. It's kind of boring. Yeah, it is. They need to work. Yeah, they need they need Black Panther to make them a Quinjet. Like on page six, you see the helicopter going one way and the Hulk jumping the other because the Avengers are supposed to be in that helicopter. It's like that's what they're right. That's what they're driving around in. They have Iron Man. Come on, <laughs> they're not going to all ride on Iron Man. <laughs> no, I know, but he can't invent something. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I like I like Captain America though. On the bottom, it's like okay, you know, and I know that seeing a bunch of wreckage on a road. There are all kinds of possible culprits here. Uh-huh. But Captain America, he woke up five minutes ago. And he knows <laughs> very little about this modern world. But one thing he does know is there is a Hulk. Yeah. And he sees the wreck. He's like, oh, yes. Wait. This matches this Hulk person you have told me about. It must be him. Dr. Octopus who? Why does he know about the Hulk? I guess because they told him. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's what they're doing. They're looking for the Hulk. Yeah. But yeah, so why does how does he know what the Hulk can do and not do? That's funny. We're 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 pursuing this really strong Hulk. He's he's a monstrous brute. If Only I the Hulk could have done this, he can't be far away. If I know the Hulk and I don't, this could be the only wreckage. This wreckage could only be done by him. Let's get back to the helicopter while the trail is still warm. <laughs> Jokes on you. It's not warm. He is gone. Yeah. And and Rick Rick is the only one who knows what's going. He must be heading for his secret underground lab. And, and then, they go in the wrong direction. Well, it's funny too, because I don't know what his plan is, because he's like, he must be going to his secret underground lab. Lab? You make him sound like a sign. Uh I can't Crap. tell I can't tell you anything. But he's gonna take him to the lab. So that's something. Yeah. And they're gonna okay. be like, what's with all these Hulk masks laying around? <laughs> yeah. I feel like I may be getting my timelines crossed. Because I feel like Hulk has wrecked his machinery before, but maybe that's in a story that happens later. But anyway, he wrecks his all of his machinery in this issue. There is no more lab in the lab. It is just wreckage. Yeah. Yeah, it's all gone. He, uh, uh, um, 
It's really weird. I hope somebody somewhere at some point wrote some stories between what happened in his last issue on his own title and what happened in Avengers 1. Because we really don't know how he went from happy Bruce Banner, who's never going to be Hulk again, dating his girl. Betty. To Betty, to like jumping around, unable to transform back. And, and And losing his pipe. The Hulk cleans out his pockets and pulls out Bruce's pipe. I love it. Yeah. And 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 Hulk is that is like a newspaper clipping. Why did Banner carry it? It mentions the Avengers. They've replaced me. They've replaced me with someone in Captain America. That's why Rick isn't here. He's deserted me too. No one does that to the Hulk. I'll go back to New York. I'll I'll destroy the Avengers forever. He needs therapy. That's what he thinks. I feel like. If Rick was there, he'd be annoyed with him. And when Rick's not there, he's annoyed with him. So yeah, he just yeah. has anger issues. He is always angry all the time. Yep. That's how he stays green. That's the only way he can exist. Okay. Um, I love how Reed Richards is like suddenly worse off than Aunt May out of nowhere. That did seem like a, you know, we have to get Reed out of the story plot device. Right. I'm not even sure why they needed to get him out because I guess maybe because they're trying to say like if Reed was fine, then nothing can beat the Fantastic Four. But since they're only the Fantastic Three, they lose. I don't know. I don't know what the purpose was otherwise. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of silly. Like, oh, he was working with uh, viruses. I wonder. And that's the explanation. And since Reed is out, Sue turns into a mother hen. Mm-hmm. She becomes all but useless in this story. Which I feel like is the worst grievance of that so far. She saves her brother briefly, and that's mm-hmm. about it. You know, like I guess right now her powers still are her new powers that she's just gotten are kind of fledgling and not as awesome as they will be. Right. Because she kind of easily passes out whenever any sort of pressure is applied to them. To where, her force fields. Yeah, where I know someday like she'll be able to wedge buildings that are falling over, you know, with a triangle yeah. force field or something. So I bet you she could take on the Hulk better now. Yeah, when she gets used to her powers and mm-hmm. builds up some resistance, whatever. Yeah. Um, the Hulk makes it all the way to downtown Manhattan without drawing any attention. Then <laughs> he starts busting up a building. Yeah. Well, he probably leaps like, what, three times? I don't know. How far can he go? And he, he's gotten here all the way from the southwest, so he has leapt across the country. Yeah. So maybe, kind of crazy. Maybe he was on the outskirts of New York, did one leap, and made it right into the center of... Manhattan. I don't oh, yeah. know. Or, or even like like from Ohio or something. Yeah. Just like leapt. Who knows? Straight into the center of Manhattan and starts busting stuff up. Yeah. He has very good direction sense. Yeah. Because like, I don't know if I had his ability to leap. I don't know that I could get from where I am right now to New York without a lot of like, you know, getting turned around. Well, you don't see how he stops for directions. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. He lands and he looks for the nearest gas station and goes and says, point Hulk to New York. Yeah. He just leaps that direction. Yeah. That must be what happens. Um, okay. So Hulk doesn't watch the news and doesn't know what a human torch is. He sees a human torch. He blows out his flames like, he's just a kid. No one's wasting my time on. I've got to find the Avengers. And that makes me wonder because he has fought the Fantastic Four before. But did he care? Did he care or did he see Johnny without flame? I can't remember. So. No, Johnny in that story was all taking care of the spy guy. Okay. So he never fought him. Yeah. He mainly faced off with the thing. Um, I think. 
Which, by the way, is the coolest part of the story, really. Like, is, oh yeah, the thing is the definitely the the VP of the story. MVP. I mean, I mean, even though they've already fought once, so this isn't like the first thing Hulk classic fight. This to me is the is the one that kicks it off, really though, because mm-hmm. that first appearance, like they fought a little bit. I think they fight like two panels maybe before they get interrupted by you know Russian terrorist guy. But this one, it's like the Hulk is rampaging the city. He's already taken out Sue and Johnny. Reed is already in bed, you know, dying. So it's like, okay, it's up to me. You're bigger than me. You're stronger than me. But I'm going to hold you back for as long as I can. And that's pretty epic. Yeah, I feel like in this issue, it really shows that the thing's greatest resource is not necessarily his strength. Mm-hmm. It is his courage. Yeah. He will face down anyone and anything just because it needs doing. That's why Hulk thing fights are awesome. Like, to me, it's not about who would win. Like, nine out of ten times, I th- imagine the Hulk would ultimately win. But I just mm-hmm. like them because it shows off that the thing knows that, too, and fights him anyway. In the Ultimate Universe, the thing punches Hulk across the country. Well, you know, they change things up. I also think Colossus is ridiculously strong in the Ultimate Universe, too. I remember him, like, pouncing or, you know, like, punching Thor into the ground or something like that. Something like that. Um, page nine, first panel. Can you spot the Strange Tales fan? Page nine, first panel. Oh, no. Run, run. If the torch couldn't stop him, who can? Oh. <laughs> that guy's from we Glenville. Our, yeah, we got ourselves a Glenville resident here. Why didn't Torch and, just go um, supernova? Come on. Because he'd kill everybody, right? I guess. And Reed is such a drama king here. You've got to leave me. The city needs you. He must be stopped. It's your dude. I'll hang on somehow. I'm still not helpless. I'm just weak. Go. Don't you hear me? Go. Well, it's interesting. Cause and he like sits up. One thing more. They are yeah, They are the uh, the superhero team. You know, we're 25 issues in with them. They're the, they're the team we've had. So when some monster's rampaging the city, who do you call? That's true. They are the Ghostbusters. You call the Ghostbusters. You call Fantastic Four. Avengers are only like four in. And so far, two of those at least have been spent like on an iceberg somewhere messing around with their own problems. So, yeah. Wait a second. First issue, the, all they've done is mess with their own problems. Yeah. In the desert after the Hulk. Yeah. First issue is Loki dealing with Loki and his and, and the Hulk and – Hulk joins them at the end. Space Phantom is all about just causing squabbles in the team. Mm-hmm. Third issue is Submariner teams up with the Hulk and, and they go after that. Fourth issue. I guess fourth issue. It's still Submariner. The Avengers spend the whole time as statues and Captain yeah. America is. So they've done nothing for New York as far as saving the day or anything. I don't even know if people would know to call for the Avengers yet. You're right. You are very so, right. So right now, the, in this time, in this place, Fantastic Four are like the city protectors. Mm-hmm. X-Men have done more in the public eye and, oh, and, than the Fantastic Four. I totally have. forgot we have another team. Yeah, the X-Men. But they're hated. Well, they will be. Well, the only real, like, for the public thing that they've done so far is... Magneto. That's not true. They've stopped Magneto twice in two different places. First for the government. Mm-hmm. And then for another country. And they stopped the Vanisher for the government. They did stop the vanish for the government. The blob was more of a in-house thing. Blob was an in-house thing. What was the last issue? Oh, Scarlet Witch and whatever. They freed that whole country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the, the country one I was talking about. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they are more in the public eye by this point than the Avengers are. Yeah. But they're not New York babies. Not like the FF. The FF are New York's hero right now. 
So page 12, panel three, mm-hmm. thing says, ain't you embarrassed to go around with that antisocial <laughs> attitude all the time? Isn't he the best? And it reminds me, there is this ad for a Marvel sweatshirt from like 1965. And it has the Hulk and Dr. Doom modeling these sweatshirts and like talking in highfalutin speech about being socially acceptable and how if they just wear the Marvel shirts, they can be socially acceptable. And it's reminded me of that. And I, I giggled and laughed. I have never seen that ad. Well, it, it exists, I promise. Oh, I'm sure. We'll yeah. get there eventually. It's a cool fight. I mean, I don't know. We say that all the time. Cool fight. I don't know what to say about it. What's a cool fight? Well, there's a, there's a reference to a person. I was going to see if you got the reference. To a person? Page 13 when they're throwing the tires. Uh-huh. Nice try, kiddo, but a whitey Ford you'll never be. Oh, baseball? Yeah, it's baseball. I had yeah, to look it up. I did see that. I yeah, he was a, uh, God, I'm going to say Yankee out loud, but I really hope I'm not wrong about yeah, that. I think it was a Yankee. Yeah, yeah he's a Yankee. Um, yeah, I don't have a whole lot else. I feel like they're, this is a classic who would win matchup, but they make a pretty clear case here. The Hulk is definitely the winner. But like you said earlier, it's not so much that Hulk would win, is that thing won't stop. I feel like the whole, the thing even says right in the beginning, like, he's going to lose. Yeah. But I can't remember where he said that. No, he, but he, he, I mean, throughout this fight, he's going to lose. It's a great setup, though. Like, when he's, you know, here, soldier, take this, take invisible girl. I got a little job to do right now. He just, you could just feel this, like, okay, this is my job. I'm the guy who has to take these punches and try and stop this monster as best I can. Because no one else here can do it. They're all going to die if they try. And he does his biggest effort against the Hulk, and it's just not enough. No. And he gets back up and keeps going while Sue cries. And um, concluded next issue. Where we will have Thor to help him out. Which is good. Yes. Because Thor is strong. Thor could beat Hulk. There is a house ad in this issue for Daredevil. It is the same house ad we've talked about before, but this time it's full page sized. And that happens the next month. That happens next episode, Mike. Yeah, I'm Daredevil. excited about that. Never read it, so. That's going to be cool. Don't spoil me on Twitter, people. Jeez. I'm, Daredevil's blind. Oh, huh? no. But anyway, that was Fantastic Four 25, and there's no lame, uh, you know, like the thing telling a story about the future or something in the back. So right. I think that was it. That's the end of our month. Okay. Do you know what this means? We have to do best and worst. We have to do most enjoyed, least enjoyed, top and bottom picks. That is impossible. It really is. Oh my gosh. I am torn. I don't think I'm torn for bottom. I'm pretty sure I know what's on bottom. Um, but uh, I'm pretty torn for top. Well, I guess so I'm not should... for either. I can't be. So. You want me to run them down? Yeah, let's run them down first. Okay, so we had Avengers number four. Nuff said Return of Cap. Yeah. We have Journey into Mystery 102, where we finish up the Tomorrow Man story and Thor returns to home. We have Sergeant Fury 6, The Fangs of the Fox, where they go up against the actual chief lieutenant of Hitler's armies. Um, We go to Tales to Astonish 54, where it's up against, um, that's where Giant Man couldn't shrink. And he was running through the town hiding from El Toro. Mm-hmm. The X-Men number four, first appearance of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, which, by the way, this same month, three weeks later, Doom Patrol had the Brotherhood of Evil, which has like Monsieur Marla and the Brain and uh, a couple other characters on it. 
So they're too close together, though, for either one to really be considered a copy of the other. Hmm. They came out three weeks apart, but it's really weird that they both came out with almost identical villain groups. Yeah. Maybe somebody's talking and telling stories. We have Amazing Spider-Man 11 with the secret of Betty Brant's lover, I mean, brother, and Dr. <laughs> Octopus. Yeah. The Fantastic Four 25, which we have just covered, as well as Strange Tales 119 that had the rabble rouser with his rabble rousing wand and uh, Doctor Strange going beyond the purple veil to the purple kingdom to rescue the criminals. And finally, Tales of Suspense 52, first appearance of the Black Widow Return of the Crimson Dynamo. This was a really good month for comics. It was. Oh my gosh. I'm even having trouble with the bottom because there's a couple that I would choose. I almost want to just flip a coin. Like it doesn't really matter that much. Okay. So what are you torn on, on the bottom? Strange tales with rabble rouser or tales to astonish with El Toro. Okay. I'm going to go with tales to astonish only because I feel like El Toro is a person that will later exist and his presence in this issue, even though it was billed on the cover as like being amazing, he was literally in like three panels and did nothing. He got defeated by flying between giant man's legs and falling out a window. And the rest of the threat for the issue was his men running around with machine guns chasing after giant man. So that was pretty lame. Like rabble rouser was actually a more threatening villain. Okay. So yeah, tales of Um, astonish 54 is my bottom. I'm going to go with strange tales 119. Okay. Uh, I I did not like the rabble rouser. I find that whole story annoying to read. Mm -hmm. Um, And repetitive. Yeah. I liked the hijinks that Giant Man went through as a Giant Man who couldn't shrink down. I thought that was fun. Although El Toro himself was pretty lame. Yeah. Um, honestly, those were the only two that I didn't really enjoy. Oh, the Tomorrow Man story. I don't think the yeah. second part lived up to the first part. No, it was okay. But that's like Midland. That's like not bad, bad. Yeah. Um, where are you on the top? So I'm obviously, I'm not even going to pretend to debate. I'm picking Avengers 4. But I want to put a caveat in there and say, like, I'm doing that partic- – just I'm completely biased and I know it. I don't think necessarily that Celery Spaceman and another round with Submariner who randomly gets, like, a group of guys together off panel is a better story than the thing trying to save the entire city by himself against the Hulk. But since Cap's my favorite hero and it says Captain America lives again and I really enjoy reading that story, I have to pick it. I have a very similar sentimental setup with two other comics. Okay. I should, I should be picking Amazing Spider-Man 11. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's, it's got the Betty Brant drama. Yep. It's got the fun art with her brother looking like he's her lover. Uh, Doc Octopus is solid. Peter Parker and Betty have great dynamics in that. It is the better comic. Mm-hmm. I'm picking the X-Men 4. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I I like that issue. I, I got really into it when I started tweeting about Scarlet Witch um, and just kind of getting into the nuances of her personality in that. I really found myself sort of, you know, diving into that world and just enjoying the fact that one of my other favorite Marvel characters, one of my favorite female Marvel characters, actually my favorite female Marvel character from this era is here now. And that's, that's really cool. I like that. So I'm going to say the X-Men, you're going to say Avengers 
And then on the bottom, we have Torch and Giant Man. Like any other month without the competition, Amazing Spider-Man could easily have been the best. Or FF25 mm-hmm. could have easily been the best. But Avengers 4, just for the importance of you know Captain America history, I have to go with it. It's too, it's too big. It is very, very big. Okay. Well, we're going to um, finish up this episode with a third comic that starts a new month for us. This is February 1964, and we're beginning with the week of February 4th, and it's Journey into Mystery 103. Yep. I always forget this story. Like when I'm trying to think of- <laughs> Off to a good start. Ench- well, it's, it's the Enchantress and the Executioner, and whenever I think of their early stuff, I'm always thinking about their Masters of Evil appearance. Uh-huh. And I know that in the Masters of Evil appearance, they had an earlier Thor appearance- but I can never recall what that earlier Thor appearance was. It's this one. It's this it's one. Journey into Mystery 103. And it's not a bad story. I just have a hard time keeping it in my brain. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So this is written by Stanley, Master of Fantasy. Illustrated by Jack Kirby, Master of Pictodrama. Inked by Sheik Stone, lettered by S. Rosen. Who so, are not masters of anything. I guess not. We pick up directly from issue 102 with Thor time warping back into the present day. Now, you may recall that Thor has been reduced to half his strength over the last two issues, but Stan Lee doesn't. (laughs) So just forget about that. (laughs) Well, okay. I mean... We'll we get, can talk about we'll it later. We'll get into that. I, I have an idea. Okay. But go ahead. Okay. Okay. It's not mentioned in the issue, but we'll, we'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. So Thor lands. He time warps back to present day and he's like right in the middle of traffic. So he gets out of traffic and jumps to his, uh, his own roof where he turns back into Don Blake, goes down to his office and falls asleep. And Jen is like, oh, the doctor must have been working all night and he's so sleepy. And I guess I'll tell these like 25 patients, sorry, the doctor can't see you. He's taking a nap. Um, and, uh, she puts Don on a couch and gives him a pillow and Loki and Odin are still talking. Like they've been just hanging out, chilling, watching Netflix ever since like two issues ago. And Odin's still peeved that Thor, his son still loves a mortal woman. Like everything he's done, it's not working. So Loki's like, you know what though? Why don't we get somebody who is more beautiful than this Jane chick? Turns out. There is somebody. Just, wow, really? It seems impossible. Right? There is one person among all the (laughs) goddesses of Asgard. One of them is more beautiful than Jane Foster. And Odin twigs to this immediately. He knows exactly who Loki's talking about. Oh, of course, it's the Enchantress. So they go to the Enchantress, who um, is described as being... Her beauty is only matched by the wickedness and deceit in her heart. So Loki's like, hey, Enchantress, Odin's got a mission for you. She's like, yeah, I think I'll do that because it sounds like a good idea. And Loki's like, hey, uh, before you go, you want a something, something? She's like, you know that that would never work because I would kill you. And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be bad. So the mission is that she's going to go. If she goes and woos Don Blake the mortal... She will somehow also win the heart of Thor. She's never explicitly explained how this would work, but she seems to either intuit it or something. I don't know. So she goes to Earth 
And she goes to Don Blake's office and she starts flirting with Don Blake. Jane Foster is also staring at the Enchantress. So um, I think she likes her too. <laughs> um, but while the Enchantress is talking to Don, she's like, oh, oh, I'm faint. And like, no, she like twists her ankle. She twists my ankle and she falls into Don's arms. And just as the door opens and Jane walks in, she starts planting her lips right on Don's face. And um, Jane Foster walks in and she's super jealous because she also wants to be hissing the Enchantress and Dawn's kissing her instead. And that's just not fair. Um, so the Enchantress, um, I forget, she goes back to Asgard. Oh, because Dawn's like, I'm not interested. I don't want I don't want this. She's like, he must have Thor's nobility or something. So she goes to get the Executioner who is this big old muscly dude in a helmet that you can't see out of with horns on the front of it. And she hands the executioner this photo and says, kill a victim. He's like, I kill the victim. Yes, master. Yes, master. So, uh, oh, also executioner is like, if I do this for you, can we do a little something, something? And she's like, um, maybe do this first. So they go back to the mortal world where Don Blake is looking for Jane because Jane saw him kissing another girl and she's all peed and she's left. He goes to her house and the landlady is like, she's not here, dude. Go out. Get out of here. So he turns back into Thor and is looking for as Thor. And the mayor says, Thor, there's this eight foot tall dude causing problems. And Thor's like, eight foot tall dude causing problems. That must be the executioner. And he goes down to the street. Meanwhile, Executioner finds Jane, sends her into a space warp to somewhere else. Uh, Thor starts fighting Executioner. Um, he agrees to Executioner to give him his hammer if he will just set Jane free. So Executioner sets Jane free. Thor gives Executioner his hammer. Executioner can't lift the hammer. So Thor has one. Jane is free. And Enchantress is peeved at Executioner because Executioner is not doing what he's supposed to. So she turns him into a tree or something. And then um, Thor uses his hammer to send them off into a space warp. And Don apologizes to Jane. They walk off together. And Odin is like, female! <laughs> the end. Fun issue. This was a fun issue. Um, Enchantress, just like, just like I think with Black Widow, but like more blatantly and obviously here, Enchantress's only job in this issue is to be sexy. Oh, is that all you got out of her? I don't know. I really enjoyed her quite a bit. Um, yes. I got more out of her writing, but just her role in the story. Well, but she's much more than that because like freaking in the end, she's turning, um, what's his face into like a tree. That was pretty awesome. Yeah. So she's much more powerful than just a pretty face. No, 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 no you're right. I, I probably said that wrong. Yeah. Like her role in the story is to be sexy and to woo Dawn. Mm-hmm. Like that's what she's supposed to do. Yeah. But, but, but she, she ex- is, she exudes evil though, which is great. Yes. Her dialogue with Loki, her dialogue with Dawn, her thought balloons. She is a master of herself she does exactly what she wants because she wants to do it. She only goes on the mission because she likes Thor. Uh-huh. And that just goes along with her, you know, her wants. Um, I think that she's a pretty one of our more powerful female characters we've gotten in the series so far. As you were describing her, in my mind it the description popped in. She's like an evil wasp. Yes. Because <laughs> they're both kind of like 
I like boys. I'm not ashamed about being sexy or attractive or hitting on them. And I'm going to do what I want when I want. Unfortunately for us, or unfortunately for Thor, in her case, she also has ulterior motives. And yeah, I don't know what they are exactly other than being evil. But uh, yeah. I, I also, in my mind, likened her to the Wasp. They both have very strong, independent characteristics, which is unusual in these Silver Age Marvel comics where so many women just don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was great. That was, she's definitely the best part of this story. Um, Executioner, also fun. Didn't quite bring as much to the table as I thought he would, but I don't really know a lot about the Executioner. I mean, he's... He's a guy who he's executes, right? one note. Yeah. Yeah, he... Well, here's the problem. He doesn't even do that. Because there's this whole... <laughs> he tries to. There's this whole business where they say, as guardians are immortal, and therefore don't really care about life and death. So when he, the executioner, who they've deemed the executioner, even though they don't care about life and death, goes to kill somebody, he just sends them to another dimension, Dragon Ball Z style. Uh, English, English dub <laughs> version, I mean, obviously. Right. So, I don't know. That was awfully weak. Like, he looked really cool plowing through the streets of New York with his axe, hunting down his victim. But then once he finds her, it's like, eh, I'm not really an executioner. His greatest moments are from Walt Simonson's round whenever the Battle of Yallabrew. Okay. Um, but before that, he really is just the guy who follows the Enchantress anywhere because he'll do anything she says. Yeah, he's her muscle. And he's her muscle. Exactly. Um, would you say that the Enchantress is one of Thor's most important antagonists? Um, of what little I know of Thor, I would definitely put her in like the top five of his rogues gallery that I could mention, that I could think of. Right. Like along with Loki and like the ultimate destroyer and I don't know what else. Yeah. Like I can't think of a whole lot of stories she's been in from that Silver and Bronze Age read that I did a couple years ago. But to my mind, she's like right behind Loki as one of the most important things in his his world. Hella. Hella. I don't know. Yeah, I give up. Yeah. Sir. Yeah. Hercules sometimes when they when they're drinking. Anyway. Magog. <laughs> um So let's talk about the whole powers cut in half. Okay. So you said they didn't say anything about it, and you're right, kind of right. Yes, you are right, actually. But when I was reading it on page two, first panel. There's this bit where mm-hmm. he comes back from time travel and it says, Warily, the powerful figure of Thor kneels where he landed as the almost indescribable power surges back into his massive rippling muscles. Now, are they saying he's recovering from time travel? Or when I was reading that, I also wondered if they meant he got his full powers restored. But then they never mentioned it again. So they probably didn't mean that. But if they never talk about it again, that's my headcanon is that panel right there. I had the exact same thoughts. Like, this is the only hint we have of him getting his powers back is some writing that could be interpreted both ways. Yeah. I think it's meant to be him recovering from the time travel, Mm -hmm. but also because it's there and we can go with what's on the page, this is where all of his powers come back to him. Because he was – because Odin was happy with him at the end of last issue. So we could argue that maybe off panel he lifted that curse. Maybe. Only to be annoyed again because as soon as he comes back home – he goes back to Jane. So then he throws the Enchantress at him. You know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But check out I thought it was a w- check out page two, ch- page two, the uh, third to last panel. Not to be obnoxiously detail-oriented, but he taps the hammer upside down, which he's never done before, has he? Does, don't you have yeah, to that is weird. tap it on the staff? Because if you're tapping the mallet, then every time he punches someone, wouldn't he just turn back to Donald Blake? <laughs> 
<laughs> like, how does it know? But anyway. I don't know. And also, his uh, which leg is up switches from one panel to the next. Yeah, his stick ends up the right direction when he turns back. So it like automatically that is weird. It automatically switched over. Anyway, just a little detail I noticed that was kind of annoying to me. It's weird that Jane is enabling Dawn not working because that's kind of against some of her personality that, you know, their doctor's office, they need to get patients and do their work. Maybe there yeah. just are no patients today. I don't know. Well, she's also a nurse, so she's in it to take care of people. And she fantasizes about giving Thor haircuts and feeding him and stuff like that. So maybe her kick is that she likes to take care of men or people in general. She likes to feel mm-hmm. needed and wanted. And I'm fine with that. Except, again, we always say that, yeah, but Stanley's writing her. So is that really fair? But then again, Stanley's writing the Enchantress, too. So I don't know how you get around stuff like that. Like, like, do you just decide that that's her personality? This is who Jane is? Or do you think... Yeah, I don't know. That it's, it's misogynistic weird. to write her that way. Certainly there are people in this, females in this world who would want to take care of a guy who's tired and, you know, whatever. But there's only one female in this world who is prettier than Jane Foster. <laughs> a goddess. Who is more beautiful and more desirable so that they'll forget the mortal girl. Yeah. I, I feel like, I feel like we use the word goddess, like with this <gasps> implication, like somebody who is like extremely attractive. And I guess in Asgard, they don't think of goddesses the same way. Actually, I was just gasping because is she? What is she? Because these are made the, up characters. Yeah, but these are made up for the first time. We we're having Asgardian characters that don't exist in myth. Oh, that's a good point. So are they gods? Is she a goddess of something? Or is she just like hanging around and hot and has magic? Is she a witch? Is she a who? I don't know what she is. They just call her the Enchantress. She is, her name is Amora. I don't know when she gets the name Amora, but Amora is just from the word love. Uh-huh. Um, but she's not part I of the mythology. At, you know, the original Norse mythology is like some goddess of seduction or something. She's just made up here. Uh, on her Wikipedia page, there's a thing that says connections to Mor- Norse mythology. Unlike many of Marvel's Asgardians, Amora is not actually based on a goddess Norse mythology. In the limited series Thor Ages of Thunder, the Enchantress is said to have been referred to by many names throughout history, including Freya, Geth, and uh. Eniduna. And so she's linked to many of the myths associated with these goddesses, such as being Keeper of the Golden Apples. Um, but these stories were set during previous cycles of Ragnarok. And so some of those goddesses actually continue to exist separately in the current Marvel universe. <sighs> so she's like a reincarnation of previous versions of, yeah, no, she's not. She's not a goddess. Not, uh, uh, at least not a Norse mythology goddess. Because the, but, um, the cover does say immortal versus immortal Thor's most titanic battle. But then they don't say the executioner is like god of death or anything either that I know of, or war or anything. He's just a dude. I mean, I think of her as a goddess. She's just not a mythological goddess. Yeah. Okay. She's as much a character as any of the other Norse characters. She's not based on an actual story. I've thought of her that way too, but then I wondered if I'm supposed to be. Because maybe we just take it for granted. Is everyone in Asgard a god? Like, do people... Not everybody's on equal footing with Odin. Like, there must be people that just are janitors or something. Well, as we get a more, you know, developed view of Asgard, there are farmers and yeah. rural people and countrymen. And I don't, I guess they're all gods. <laughs> or do they worship Thor also? I don't know. I don't know. It's hard to figure out. That is weird. What, Gene, help us out. What do you think of, uh, I like this whole, like, 
you feel like Loki and the Enchantress have some sort of relationship or at least a passing, you know, fling once in a while. Mm-hmm. Which is, it's a, it's an interesting idea for Loki because we don't usually see him as like, you know, kind of a, an attractive guy. Even though his first appearance, Jane thought he was hot. Right. But that's, usually he's more like sniveling and, you know, seedy liar type. But he's all sitting there looking cool and hugging her and I don't know. It was interesting. Is one of the few times we've seen him without his horned hat. Yeah, and his 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 ponytail is in his hand because it's part of his helmet. Um, Kudos. Yeah, he's like. Oh, go ahead. What a team we would make if only. Yeah. So at least they flirt. But then you gotta yeah. you kind of have to wonder if Enchantress just flirts with everybody because that's how that's how she has power over people. Okay, so um, we get to page six and she's making the moves on Dawn. And Don says, I seem to know this face, that fatal appeal. Of course, it's stop this pretense. You're the enchantress. So I thought it was interesting that Don was once again channeling Thor's mind. Mm-hmm. He recognizes his brother and all these people that come along. Mm-hmm. Um, and man, I just said like about our last issue we covered that, you know, Kirby's not great with women. But kudos to him for this scene because I think he did a good job like giving her sex appeal and stuff. Looks pretty good. Yeah. And I, I, I was not kidding. I, it is totally my headcanon that Jane Foster sees the Enchantress and is totally taken with her as well. Yeah. Um, so that whenever she comes in and sees them kissing, she is caught off guard. And later, she is able to work out her emotions and realize she's mad at Dawn. But I think at first, because of Enchantress's sex appeal and because of her magic and whatever else is going on, Jane Foster is totally under the spell too. Yeah, on page five when she... Brings him into his office. She has a big old smile on her face. So, right. It's like you would imagine if she's the goddess with the ability to enchant people, like the taxi cab driver, pretty much anybody she encounters. And it makes sense that even females would be enamored with her on some level. Oh, yeah. Jane is definitely staring at her at the bottom of page five. Does not want to leave because, uh-huh. oh my gosh, enchantress. Look at that. Yeah. Um, but Thor can resist. Thor, yeah, he has the heart of a god. He can resist. Mortal men could not. Um, and the Enchantress doesn't really do much in the way of evil. She's like seducing Dawn and seducing Thor. That's not evil. The only, I think the only questionable choice that she makes in this issue is that she plays with Executioner's affections. Well, we assume that if she did manage to seduce Thor, that she has bad intentions because she, I don't know. She, she likes Thor. Yeah, but she, the only reason she's doing this is because she likes Thor. But she also smiles and jokes around with Loki, so she can't be all great. I don't know. And he tells her, he says that we know, he, he's the only one who knows about her cruelty and scheming heart. So I don't know. She came off to me as someone who, like, if you do fall under her spell, that that may not be good for you. Yeah. Especially the way he treats, like you said, she treats, uh, 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 what's his face here? Executioner. Yeah, same thing would probably happen with Thor if he ended up. But that goes back to remember, like the first time Loki and Thor fought, and Loki said some passing comment like his magic doesn't work on other gods. So maybe the Enchantress can't enchant. Uh, what's his name? Not just because he's like made of sterner stuff, but literally because he's Thor. Maybe I don't remember that line. I remember water being his weakness for no reason. Yeah, that too. Enchantress, you have come to me at last. Does this mean you will be mine? Not yet, my powerful friend. But perhaps I shall look upon you with greater favor if you do this thing for me. Yep. I don't like it. Um, Page eight. (laughs) Thor comes in the window unexpectedly to talk to the police commissioner. Uh Batman, is that you? Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting when he's 
he's still in like he's got the superhero role thing because you don't think of him that way. But yeah, all these early Superman-y stories. And did you see where Jane Foster gets sent? Limbo. Limbo. This is the second time, only second time that Limbo has been explicitly mentioned in these comics. And that was the Space Phantom was the first time. So she is in Space Phantom realm. So that's where I don't know. I just that's just so weak. I mean, I know they can't have Executioner like behead Jane, but right. It's just as weird. This whole explanation. That's what he does. Anytime they call the Executioner, he sends somebody to Limbo. Life and death are almost meaningless to those who dwell in Asgard. To them, there are many ways to execute a victim. It's not necessary to take their life from them. Using his axe to cut through time and space, rather than frail human flesh, the executioner whirls about him at fantastic speed, creating a blinding spinning vortex into which Jane Foster is hurled until the vortex ceases. And she's in limbo. So yeah, it's like, there are many ways to skin a cat. One way is to leave the skin on the cat and send the entire cat to limbo. <laughs> where it'll be perfectly safe until someone rescues it. Right, and not skinned. <laughs> right. Well, who would want to, like, muddy his axe with that horrible cat flesh? Right. They write it like it's like this, it's beneath him to kill somebody, the executioner. And we get to page 10, he holds his axe out and shoots ice all over Thor. And we've we've talked about the discrepancy between writing and art that happens every now and then. Uh-huh. But here I'm ruling in Stan's favor. Because slashing through dimensions to allow the immense cold into this dimension is so much better than just shooting ice out of the axe head. Yeah, but in either way, that was kind of disappointing too. Because like I just thought it'd be a big muscle battle between the two of them. Right. It's kind of this weirdness of slashing through space and time to throw, you know, cosmic fish at Thor or whatever. <laughs> um. And and it doesn't really ring with fit with his theme either all that much. Like, why would he have that ability? That's just weird. Anyway. No. Um, but yeah. And then on the bottom of that page, oh, Thor. Oh, sorry. Um, we see Don Blake peeking out from Thor's mind. He says at the bottom of page 10, without my hammer, I shall become Don Blake again to remain so for all time. Yet if Thor must be sacrificed so that Jane Foster may live, I have no other choice. And, and again, we've talked before. Don Blake was just living his normal life, being Dr. Blake, before becoming Thor. And when he became Thor, he got all these obligations and a very needy father that he did not ask for. Yeah. And here he's like, you know what? Fuck it. Jane is more important to me than Thor. I don't care. In fact, this would solve all his problems, really. All the problems are solved. Yeah. Uh, It's a good scene, though. I like the whole business with, you know, anytime someone tries to pick up a hammer, obviously, is fun. Um, right. And, and then suddenly the executioner is in the first Justice League story. Yeah, it's a very <laughs> cruel uh, uh, couple panels here where he just starts turning into this tree. That's where her. Mm-hmm. That's where she's more than just, you know, a pretty evil face. Like, all of a sudden, she's also incredibly scary and powerful. Yeah, and vindictive. And vindictive, yeah. It's like, you said you would help me, and then all you want to give is a hammer for yourself. You know what? You're turning into a monster. And then she's surprised. You're still alive? Then fine. I've got another spell for you. So she can't change his hammer into something else. I don't know what she was trying to do, a frog or something. Oh, a deadly serpent. And that is kind of the opposite of what a lot of uh, you know super-powered characters' power descriptions read. Like if you read a Superman description, it'll say, he's amazing at everything. Magic still affects him. Or you read like Cap's shield. His shield can't be destroyed by anything. Magic still affects it. 
Uh, but not Thor's hammer, which kind of makes nope. sense because he is magic and it is magic. So it's immune to magic and transformations. Like even when he gets transformed into a frog much, much later, I think the hammer is still a hammer. Okay. So I think, um, oh, the only other thing I had on this was that Jane, uh, not Jane, the Enchantress and the Executioner, we will see them again pretty soon in Avengers number six. Oh, Okay. So do you do you think he opened a portal and sent him to Asgard, or do you think he created the whirlwind that actually works in space and plopped him perfectly down onto Asgard? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I'm gonna go portal because that's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, portal, and maybe not. Maybe it's not Avengers six. It's soon. It's a Baron Zemo issue. It might be Avengers seven or eight. Mm. Anyways, doesn't matter. Um, I like that Jane is frosty to Dawn, but then she does agree to walk beside him and talk it out. Yeah, this is the first time they're. Not first, but it seems like it's been a while since they've just had a conversation. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of nice and fun. And I like his little smirk. Like, he understands why she's upset, but she'll get over it. And the very end of the comic teases some big stuff with Odin next issue. And I don't remember that at all. So I'm very curious to see where that where that goes. Yeah, and that last panel, he has his arms up and, like, all the god power in the world is flying out of him. And he's declaring that no... No son of mine will have a mortal girlfriend. It's like, God, you have nothing else you need to be doing? My <laughs> God, that's a lot of energy you're spending over something that's just right. so frivolous. If you blink, she'll be dead of old age. So, right. like, who right. cares? It is going to go by very quickly. Anyway. All right. Well, that takes us to the backup. This is um, still in the era, of course. It's always going to be the era for as long as we can think about podcasting of the Tales of Asgard. So we have Thor's mission to Mirmir. I hate that word, but yes. Yeah, it sounds like Mia from the first Thor movie, which is the name for Thor's hammer that we don't even have the real name yet because Mjolnir is not a word yet. Or that cat commercial. Meow, 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 meow. <laughs> Thor's mission to Mir, 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 Mir. <laughs> this is, of course, masterfully written by Stan Lee, magnificently illustrated by Jack Kirby, majestically inked by Shikstone and meritoriously lettered by Art Simic. Um, this is the tale of Thor's odyssey to Mirmir, one of the strangest missions ever undertaken by mortal or godling. So Thor is with the dwarves. He is visiting uh, Sindri, king of the dwarves. And from Sindri, he gets a teeny tiny, like, um, micro machine of a boat. But the micro machine grows really big and Thor can ride it anywhere in the universe. So he rides it to a ocean and the coast of an island and fights a dragon and then runs into a giant boar monster who has a bigger hammer, but they fight and it's okay. And all of this to go and find um, the King Mirmir who he has a branch from the tree of life and says, Mirmir, you know what I have to do with this branch. And Mirmir is like, yes, I know what I have to do. I will take this branch and I will stir this pool of water. And the pool will dropple some drips of water that turn into trees that turn into humans. And so Thor rides the boat back to Asgard and his mission is done. We now have humans. Good. That's basically it, right? I was wondering how I exist. Yeah. And the humans have names. These are the um, Osk and Embla, which are the names given to the first humans in Norse mythology. Yeah. I had no idea what the story was about, and they don't really 
aren't very forthcoming about it until like of course the very end when they say what I think it's supposed to be like a reveal. Like yeah. you don't want to they don't want to say at the front that he's trying to go and make humans. He's just it's time to make humans now. So let's go make them. But I remember how like at the end of the first or second chapter Odin was like hanging out watching the tree of life around Midgard is like like eagerly waiting for humans to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the fact so, that Thor is involved seems like it's too late already. Yeah. But I don't know. Thor's also immortal, so Another thing that I noticed here is that Thor is riding on a boat that can go through space and take him anywhere in the universe. I'm pretty sure that later in like the Jack Kirby run, Thor goes on this same boat through space. There's definitely Thor and a bunch of other people on a boat in space. I think it's the same boat. Well, I wouldn't lose it, man. Fits in your pocket. Right. Can pull it out whenever you need to. It's called Skip Bladner. Right. That seems weird. The uh, Norse is uh, Skid Bladner. Okay, that sounds much but, better. Um, but Skip Bladner, sure. For, for <laughs> That's going to be a username from now on for me. <laughs> Skip Bladner. <laughs> so um, I think that – oh, I have some of the ed- – the editor's note says – Freely translated, the tale you have just read is part of the Norse legends, which deal with the birth of mankind and the days before the beginning of time. And I'm thinking, let's ask our Asgardian advisor Uh, how much he agrees with Stan, shall we? We'll see about this. Okay. So uh, if you're new to the show, we have a friend who is uh, a worshiper of the Norse gods, and he helps us out with these tales of Adgard stories. So Gene Hendricks who has several podcasts, and you can look them up online. Uh, Gene, Gene, the Podcasting Machine, uh, the Hammer Strikes podcast, the, um, oh, crap. There's that, that new role-playing game that has the word number 1,000 in it. Uh-huh. I had it in my head. Where uh, I forgot. I'll, I'll find it out in a minute. Okay. So uh, he has several podcasts, and he says, all right, we're back to a what-the-hell moment. <laughs> Nothing. And I mean, nothing in this story is correct. What? First of all, Thor was not involved in the creation of humans at all. That was Odin and his two brothers, Vili and Ve, who were last mentioned in issue 98. After they created the Midgard, the three brothers were walking through it and they came across two trees, an ash and an elm, which is where we get the names Ask and Embla. Hmm. The gods brought these trees to life, each giving them different gifts. He says, I have no idea who Mimir is supposed to be. Okay. <laughs> the closest I can come up with is Mimir, who was the wisest of the Aesir, but was head- beheaded during the Aesir-Vanir War. Um, Odin took the head and preserved it and brought it back to life as an advisor. <laughs> okay. In order to gain more knowledge, Odin sacrificed his eye and threw it in Mimir's well. What's that? I said, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I remember in the comics, Odin is also going to sacrifice his eye and throw it into Mimir as well. I choose to believe it is the same Mimir. Um, this is one of the three wells that waters the tree of life, Yggdrasil. Um, the ship, Skipbladner, is supposed to be Skithbladnir, and it is a magical item that belongs to the god Frey. Frey was given the ship at the same time that Thor was given Mjolnir. So why the dwarves would still have it doesn't make any sense. The ship is able to carry all of the Aesir and their mounts, but it can be folded up to fit into Frey's pocket when not in use. So at least they got that part right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And other of Frey's possessions is represented in Gullen, 
who is supposed to be Gullen Bursty, a boar big enough to ride, who can fly and whose bristles shine like the sun. Okay. And the last point he says is that finally the dragon scored is a Marvel invention. It does not appear in the lore at all. Man, that's disappointing. So it's like he took a couple of things that do exist and put them in the entirely wrong contexts. Well, and got the last few stories we read, I knew they were just, you know, made up Marvel stories and, and he confirmed as much. So this one I was reading going, oh, this sounds like they're getting back to like something real. But man... Guess not. And it kind of feels like very. a myth. Yeah, like, very Like much. someone who just goes on a journey and a quest with a sort of arbitrary goal in mind. Yeah, who can make up the whole, like, throw a stick in a well and create two people? I mean, that sounds very mythological to me. I guess the Kirby man can. Yeah. Oh, well. Well, thank you, Gene, because, um, yeah, I, I like the connection with Mimir. I was not expecting to, to have that connection there. Um we so we will see this well again way down the road. Okay. Um and yeah, I guess that's everything. I did look up the Sindri, the king of the dwarves, mm-hmm. and he does not he appears like one more time, but he's not like a recurring king of the dwarves. There are other dwarf characters who are recurring, but Sindri is not one of them. Oh well. Oh well. And it it was not Adam and Eve, it was Ask and Embla. Yeah, it's always two though, isn't it? Well, you know, you don't really need genetic variety in myth. <laughs> you would think at least one mythology would be like, you know, this makes no sense that they're reproducing the whole world with brother and sister. Let's let's have the god create like a thousand people in one, right. in one shot. No, it's always man and a woman. Okay, well, I think that wraps up our issue. It's kind of weird not to have like the end of the month and the end of the issue in the same place in the episode. Yeah, we had a good run with that, but... We're going to get new titles, and it's just going to screw up the whole, you know, three issues, three episodes, one month thing. Weirdly, Daredevil is going to put us back on track for that for just a few episodes, and it's going to knock us off again. Yeah, because it's not consistent. Right. Oh, well. But we did it. We did. We got to do a uh, best and worst in this episode, so that was fun. That was fun. All right. Shall we um, talk about where we can be found on the internet while I get up some thank yous and welcomes? Well, if you mash the title of our podcast together, get rid of all the spaces and put a .com at the end, you get makearsmarvel.com. And that's where you find more information about us. Presumably, you already have some since you're listening to me talk. Um, But you can find all the various links on the different ways you can subscribe to us through Apple or Android or Stitcher or Google um, or you could just play directly on the uh, episode post itself. We also have links to all our social media that we do, which at this point is pretty much just Facebook and Twitter, though we also have a Google Plus account in hopes that it helps with our, you know, hit rating. And also mm-hmm. also Hammerstrike likes our Google account. So we'll keep it up. And uh, lastly, most importantly, you can write us a letter using the co- contact form on the site or by emailing us directly to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. And over on Twitter, we have now, as of today, as we're recording, 200 followers. Nice. So the most recent of whom are Trekker Talk at Trekker Talk. Now, this is not Trekker like Star Trek, but this is the Trekker comics by Ron Randall. T-R-E-K-K-E-R. Well, that's disappointing. So that's... <laughs> it's a fan podcast devoted to the adventures of sci-fi bounty hunter Mercy St. Clair from the Trekker comics as part of the Rad Adventures Network. Um, 
I've always I've seen some Trekker covers and thought it was interesting, so I, I should read some of those. Yeah. We also have Chris. I don't know if it's Chris Rice Art or Chris Rice Art. There's only one capital letter. It's a C at the front. But it's an art guy. He makes art stuff, drawing, painting, digital, screen printing, etc. Maybe he could be He's the king us. in the future someday. I like that. Yeah. We're also being followed by Adam Smith at Easy Life Smith. He is an emo and condiment enthusiast. Okay. <laughs> which I I am very impressed by. Um, Adam, what are your feelings on Whataburger ketchup versus Whataburger spicy ketchup? Ooh, now there's a question. Yes. And finally, number 200 is Mike Grinchy mm. at Avant Garve. He says, lowbrow, but I rock a little know-how. Fight the good fight, finish the race, keep the faith. Podcaster on WFD Pod, gone to Texas show and DCOCD cast. DCOCD cast. What is that? That is the every DC Comics event. Mike and Paul rate and rank them all. It's on the Waiting for Doom podcast Ooh. feed. Does does his partner know that he's cheating by listening to us? Uh-oh. I won't tell. As of this recording in December, their recent 20th episode was on Day of Judgment. You know, it's nice that we so, have a, a condiment expert in our growing army because, you know, if we ever have a barbecue, make ours Marvel barbecue or something, get together. Right? That'll be really handy. We, sh- we should do that. Yeah. How hard could and it be? we had... W- We've had one Facebook like since last time, and that was Jeff Cottle. He's the owner of the Jeff Cottle Carpentry. So uh, thank you all of you who are supporting us on the, um, the, 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 what do you call it? Social medias, sharing, retweeting, talking about us, reviewing us, putting reviews in iTunes. All those wonderful things are always appreciated. And um, so until the Enchantress gets really super jealous of Dazzler, Make ours marvel. marvel.